All right, turn with me to Exodus chapter 30. Exodus chapter 30. We're in a series called Worthy, How to Worship a King. And the Lord put this series on my heart months ago just to talk about worship, but not to talk about worship in the sense of just the the musical vehicle or the musical aspect of worship, but to talk about what is true worship and and how does God want us to worship. And so uh, we've been on this journey through the tabernacle, and today we're going to continue on that journey. But why are we looking at an old covenant, at an Old Testament tabernacle or an Old Testament tent uh, when we talk about worship? I mean, does the old covenant still apply to us today on this side of the cross and on this side of grace? Well, if you tuned in last week with us, you know uh, that we talked about how the tabernacle and the old covenant is actually a shadow or a copy of heavenly worship. That there is a heavenly tabernacle, according to Hebrews chapter 8 verse 5, says that Jesus is the high priest serving in the heavenly tabernacle. And so when God gave Moses instructions to build this earthly tabernacle, it was a copy or a shadow of the heavenly tabernacle to show people what God is like, how he is to be approached, and how we should worship him. And so I'm so excited to continue on this journey. We talked about the altar of sacrifice last week. And how we are all called to be living sacrifices. That Jesus was the sacrifice that paid for our sins. He was the Lamb of God that was slain for the sins of the world. So now you and I, we are called to put our lives on the altar of submission and submit our lives as living sacrifices. And notice that this is the first thing that we do when we come to approach God's presence. Without first submission to God and giving Him our lives, You can't continue into the process of worship. You can't continue through the tabernacle unless you first bring an offering of sacrifice, your life as an offering of sacrifice. And so we talked about the altar of sacrifice from Romans chapter 12 and how submission comes first to benefit uh, to, in, or, in order to benefit from this second element that we're going to be talking about today. The second element of the tabernacle is the bronze basin. And if you weren't here last week, let's, let's put a picture of the, the tabernacle up here. You see the gates. This is where you enter in on the right side to the gates. And the first element you come to is the altar of sacrifice. And it prepares you uh, to approach the bronze basin. Now notice, no, just just note that from here on out, from the from the wash basin into the holy place, only the priests were allowed to wash into the into this basin. Only the priests were allowed to enter into the holy place to approach the presence of God. And we talked in week one of this series how you are a priest. That the moment you got saved, you were drafted into the priesthood. You became a priest in order to minister to God. And so um, the, the, the what we're going to be talking about today is the bronze basin. If you can put a picture of the bronze basin up there. Essentially, the bronze basin was a giant birdbath, uh, for lack of better terms. Some people even believe that there was a bowl at the bottom of it for the priests to wash their feet in. But Exodus chapter 30 says this, verse 17 through 20. I'm going to be reading from the New Living Translation a lot today. Is that okay? It says, Then the Lord said to Moses, Make a bronze wash basin with a bronze stand. Place it between the tabernacle and the altar and fill it with water. Aaron and his sons will wash their hands and feet there. Now, if you jump to Exodus chapter 38, verse 8, it says, They made the bronze basin and its bronze stand from the mirrors of the women who served at the entrance of the tent. Now, 
They made this wash basin, they made this bronze basin out of the mirrors that the women who served at the entrance of the tent, they brought these mirrors. Now, if you're thinking of a glass mirror that you hold in your hand or you hang on your wall, you would be very confused right now as to how they got this to be uh, a basin. But mirrors in the first century, they didn't have glass mirrors. What they used was highly polished pieces of bronze. And so they took all these polished pieces of bronze and they made it into this wash basin to this bronze basin so that when you were a priest and you would step up to this basin to wash yourself you would look into the bowl to wash yourself and you would see a reflection of yourself it would be a mirror so that you could see the blood and the dirt and the blemishes that you need to wash yourself of in order to enter into the holy place and continue ministering to the lord in the tabernacle The bronze basin represents the ministry of the word of God. It represents the ministry of God's word, of the Bible, and how it washes us and cleanses us. And in Ephesians chapter 5, Paul writes to husbands and wives uh, and compares an earthly marriage to what God has done for the church because we are the bride of Christ, according to Scripture. So in Ephesians chapter 5, starting at verse 25, it says this, For husbands, this means love your wives, just as Christ loved the church. He gave his life up for her. Here's the important part. To make her holy and clean, washed by the cleansing of what? God's word. He did this to present her to himself as a glorious church without a spot or wrinkle or any other blemish. Instead, she will be holy and without fault. God's word cleanses us. It cleanses us from the daily sin that we, that we bring into our lives. It washes us. It shows us what God's standard is for our life. And, and, and that is why it's so important to come to the word of God. And that is why it was so important for the, for the priests to come to the wash basin and cleanse themselves before they continued on in their ministry in the tabernacle. See, your sins were paid for at the altar of sacrifice. Jesus took on the judgment of God. He took on the wrath of God that paid for your sins. But there is a daily cleansing that needs to happen when we read the word of God. How many followers of Jesus still have thoughts and behaviors and attitudes and things in their life that still does not look like God? Come on, every hand in this room should be raised, including mine, because even though we give our lives to Jesus and we submit ourselves before him at the altar of sacrifice and say, God, you can have my life as a living sacrifice, we still struggle with sin, don't we? And that is why the word of God washes us every single day. The word of God ministers to our lives daily and cleanses our lives so we can live holy and set apart. I want to discuss three things that the word of God brings today. And, and when you submit to the word of God, the word of God brings these three things. The first thing is this. It brings revelation. The word of God brings revelation to your life. In the book of James, James compares the word of God to a mirror once again. And we can only assume that when James is writing about this, he's referring to the basin in the tabernacle. James chapter 1, starting with verse 22. This is an important scripture. James 1, 22 says, But don't just listen to God's word. You must do what it says. Otherwise, you're only fooling yourselves. For if you listen to the word and don't obey, it's like glancing at your face in a mirror. You see yourself, walk away, And forget what you look like. But if you look carefully into the perfect law that sets you free 
And if you do what it says and don't forget what you heard, then God will bless you for doing it. Church, a mirror has two functions. A mirror can serve two purposes. The first purpose that a mirror can serve is for vanity. It can serve for vanity. Now, I don't know how many of you have been to the gym recently, but, but if you go to the gym today, you'll notice that as you walk into every single room of the gym, it is covered from wall to wall in mirrors. And every time I go to the gym, which is very, not very often, every time I go to the gym, I see this big dude bench pressing or doing bicep curls, and he's staring at himself in the mirror. And he's looking around to see if anybody else is watching him. And he's taking little selfies and posting them on Instagram. See, mirrors, they can be used for vanity. And we can do the same thing with the Word of God. We can look at the Word of God and think, I'm doing pretty good for myself. We think we don't do this, church, but we do. We look at the Word of God and we start to compare ourselves to other people. And we start to compare ourselves with how well we are doing compared to other people. And we think to ourselves, I'm, I'm doing pretty good. I'm a pretty, I'm a pretty spectacular human being. I'm a pretty great follower of Jesus. In Luke chapter 18, Jesus tells this story to his listeners about two men who went to the tabernacle to pray. He talks about a Pharisee and a tax collector. And the Pharisee went to the, the temple to pray. It was the, it was the temple at the time. They walk into the temple to pray and the Pharisees begin to pray God, I thank you that I'm not like this sinner. I thank you that, I'm paraphrasing here, I thank you that I have it all together, that you have chosen me, that I'm a good person. God, I thank you that I'm better than this other guy here. We do this with Scripture, church. We look, we read through Scripture, and, and we, we, we hear a verse, and instead of thinking, oh, wow, God, what do you want me to do with this? How do you want me to apply this to my life? We think, I should text this to this other person. I, my, my friend needs to know this verse because, man, their life is messed up. And I need them to understand this so that they can get better and we can have a better relationship. No, we, we do this with Scripture. But in, the, in, in Luke 18, Jesus goes on to tell them that there was a sinner, a tax collector who came to the temple. And he cried out, God, I am a sinner. Have mercy on me. And he beat his chest and he tore his clothes and he was weeping. And Jesus asked, "Who? which of these two men walked away justified? It was the tax collector. Because he was using the standard of God. He was using scripture to compare himself, to look into the mirror. He was using it not for vanity, but for revelation, to show him the truth. That's what happens when you look in a mirror, church. You see the truth. How many of you have gone through a whole day? I've done this on a Sunday before. I come to church and for the whole Sunday, nobody says anything. And I get home and there's a big pimple on my face. Thanks a lot for telling me, church. And I get home and I go, man, that's been there all day long. How many of you have ever looked into the mirror and seen the reality and gone, man, hopefully you say, wow, I look pretty good. But that's what mirrors do, church. They show you how things are and that's what the word of God does. It shows us the reality And we're not supposed to look at it and compare ourselves to other people. We say to ourselves, I'm I'm so thankful I don't struggle with what they struggle with. Now listen, church, you may not be addicted to drugs or sex, but you might be addicted to shopping or you might be addicted to gossip. And there's a work that needs to take place in your life. There's a transformation that needs to take place in your life. You may not swear like a sailor, but you have unforgiveness in your heart. 
And instead, you read Scripture maybe, and, and you go, oh, this is, you know, I'm doing really good in this area, rather than reading Scripture for it to inform you how God is asking you to change your life, how God is trying to direct your life. And God is so gracious. I don't know if God does this with you, but he does this with me. There's, there's lots of areas of my life that need to change, church. Just like most of us, there are many areas of our lives that, that probably we think are okay, but probably don't measure up to God's standards. But God is so gracious with me, just like he's gracious with you. And he takes, typically, he, for me, he does things one at a time. He says, hey, you know what? In this season of your life, I'm going to focus on this thing right here that I, I feel like you need to change, Blake. It's, it's, driving your, it's, driving, it's driving a wedge in your marriage. It's driving a wedge in your family. Let's focus on this one thing. And once, once I begin to submit that to God, he moves on to the next thing. Okay, now that we've done this, let's submit this part of your life to me. See, God doesn't ask us to, to, to change everything all at once, to get everything perfect, right? But it's his kindness that leads us to repentance. And it's his patience and his goodness. But it's why it's so important to be submitted to God, to, to offer your life before him at the altar. Remember that the basin was made of bronze. And just like we talked about last week, bronze is the biblical symbol for what? Does anybody remember? Judgment. It's the biblical symbol for judgment. And judgment's a bad word in our culture, isn't it? It's kind of got some negative connotations, but there is a type of judgment, church, that is good. And it actually saves you from a a more severe type of judgment. The kind of judgment I'm talking about is self-judgment. It's self-examination. 1 Corinthians 11.31, it says this, But if we would examine ourselves, we would not be judged by God in this way. The word of God helps to accomplish this. In in other words, the word of God helps to reveal to our lives what is wrong before, before the more severe form of judgment comes. And the word of God helps to, to reveal those things. It's used for revelation in our life. The second thing that the word of God brings to our life is transformation. It brings revelation, but that revelation is actually meant to transform your life, to change you, to have you be different after you've read it. Second Corinthians chapter 3, verse uh, 17 through 18, it says this. Now the Lord is spirit, and with the spirit of the Lord is there is freedom, verse 18 says. But we all, with unveiled faces, looking as in a mirror at the glory of the Lord, are being, what? Transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as from the Lord, the Spirit. See, when we read the Bible and when we read the life of Jesus and when we read the Gospels, that we are peering into the glory of the Lord. We're peering into the image of Jesus who is the glory of the Lord. And as we peer into that, it's like a mirror that transforms us into the same image, into the image of Jesus. That is... That is the reality of the Bible, that it's supposed to change you to become more like Jesus. You are not supposed to read God's word and walk away unchallenged and unchanged and the same as before. When you read God's word, we walk away transformed and changed, even if it's just a little bit. Did you know that when you come to Jesus, the Bible says that you are a new creation, that you are not the same person? That we are born into the world 
as sinners, and we say this, I'm just a sinner saved by grace, but did you know that when you come to Jesus, you are not a sinner saved by grace any longer? You are a saint that has been saved by grace. That is why when Paul writes to all the churches in the New Testament, he writes to the saints in Ephesus, to the saints in Corinth, to the saints in Philippi. He writes to the saints because he knows that they have a new nature. They don't have a propensity or a tendency for sin any longer. Instead, they have a tendency or a propensity for the things of God because they have been made a new creation. Your mind is being transformed, your spirit, your body, everything about you has been made new and you are a saint now that follows Jesus. Does that mean you still sin? Of course it does. But you are a saint that occasionally struggles with sin, not a sinner that occasionally does the right thing. We are a new creation. Some of you have experienced this transformation when you got saved, when you said yes to Jesus. But did you know that transformation is not over? I know that when my dad got saved, he said that he, he used to, before he got saved, he used to hate Christian music. He would go over to his, his father and his stepmom's house and, and she would have Christian radio playing or Christian songs playing and it would just, it would just make him feel angry and he said he could feel just, just a weight on his shoulders. It made him frustrated, but he, he got saved and he would come to the house and it was refreshing to him. He would get filled up and he noticed a change that took place in his life. But when you give your life to Jesus, that transformation is not over. You continue to change. You continue to be made more like Jesus. And we call this process spiritual growth. We call it spiritual maturity. But let me remind you that transformation only happens for those who have submitted to God first, who have done the first thing, come to the altar of sacrifice and submit to God, those who have offered their lives to him, because without first submitting to God, you will open up the Bible and the words of scripture will bounce off of you like rubber. It'll go in one ear and out the other because you haven't submitted to it. It's not authority in your life. It's not the words of God. It's not the inspired word of God in your life. That's why we submit first. So when we approach scripture, it has the, it has the ability to change, to transform us. The last thing that the word of God brings to our lives is liberation. It reveals in order that we would experience a transformation in our life so that it can bring freedom to your life. Psalm 119 verse 45 the psalmist writes, I will walk in freedom for I have devoted myself to your commandments. He knows that because he follows God's words, he's devoted himself to God's word. He lives and walks in freedom. God gave us his word, not because he wanted to take away our happiness or enslave us to a list of rules. He gave, of his, he gave us his word because he wants the best for our lives. He knows the final destination of each decision. And he's trying to show us what the standard is, what the design is for every aspect of our life. He wants you to live free from guilt and shame. Remember, in the first week we talked about, we talk, we talked about the, how the tabernacle, the tabernacle is not about restrictions. It's about opening up access. That there is a process to approaching God. There is a process to being in his presence. And, and we talked about how if there's a process to prayer in the Bible, if there's a process to reconciliation, as, as Jesus and Paul talk about, there's a process to entering God's presence. And if there's a process, if there's a way that God prefers to be worshiped, then I want to know what that process is. Because I want to be in his presence. I don't want to just 
feel the feelings or, 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 or come to church and, and get, that, get that joy or that, you know, that little bit of mountaintop experience. No, I want the power of God to live in my life. I want to come out of the tent just like Moses did with my face shining. I want to see God face to face. I want him to move in my life. But in order to get to that, we have to know the process. We have to know how does God prefer to be worshipped in the tabernacle. The, the, the word of God is part of the process to coming into God's presence. You know, we say uh, at our church that we want people to know God, but we also want them to find freedom. See, the Israelites, they knew God, and they were released from Egypt. But how many of you remember that even after the Israelites were set free from Egypt, they still hadn't got Egypt out of them? That there was a process where Egypt needed to be stripped away from them. That they still had tendencies. They still had thoughts and behaviors and preferences that God did not want them to have. And so God wants us to know him, but he wants us to walk in freedom. And so you are saved. The judgment, the wrath is taken off, but there is a continual process of becoming more and more like Jesus. We know God and then we find freedom. The cleansing of God's word is what brings daily freedom to our lives and as we read what God's desires are for my life. See, the bronze basin, it was a prerequisite to entering the holy place and moving closer to God's presence. But remember that you are a priest and your role is to minister to God. Not only is the word of God a prerequisite to further ministry, but it's a necessary aspect of worship in our lives. That reading the Bible Reading God's word is a necessary aspect of our worship to God. That without it, we can't truly worship God apart from his word. It shows us how to worship him. So how did Jesus model the bronze basin? We talked about last week how Jesus modeled himself, really, that, that he can be seen in the altar of sacrifice. And the fact that the elements of the altar reflect Jesus, but, but he was also the lamb that was slain on the altar, He represented that, but we also talked about how in the last week of Jesus' life, he represented the altar of sacrifice by going to the temple and the courts, and he was flipping tables, remember? He was showing us how to worship, that he went straight from the gates of Jerusalem on the donkey and the triumphal entry, and he ended in the courts at the altar of sacrifice. So where in the last week of Jesus' life did he model the bronze basin? John 1.14 says that Jesus is the word of God. That the word became flesh or became human and dwelt among us and lived among us. Jesus is the word of God in the flesh, meaning that everything about Jesus' life is a reflection of the truths of Scripture. That he is the exact representation, according to Hebrews, Jesus' life was the exact representation of how, of how God, uh, of how God is, of how, of how he wants humanity have, to have a relationship with him, about how to live a sinless life. Jesus was the exact representation of the fullness of the word of God, and he became flesh and lived among us. But in the last week of Jesus' life, he modeled the bronze basin elsewhere. You know where he modeled it? In John chapter 13, verse 2 through 5, it says this. It was time for supper, and the devil had already prompted Judas, son of Simon Iscariot, to betray him. 
Jesus knew that the Father had given him authority over everything and that he had come from God and would return to God. So he got up from the table, took off his robe, wrapped a towel around his waist, and poured water into a basin. Then he began to wash the disciples' feet, drying them with the towel he had around him. Do you remember what Peter said when Jesus tried to wash his feet for the first time? Jesus goes, what are you doing? You're not going to wash my feet. If anything, I should be washing your feet. And what did Jesus say? He said, Peter, unless I wash your feet, you can't have anything to do with me. And then Peter basically tried to jump into the bowl. (laughs) Well, then wash my head and wash my, my face, wash all of me. And what did Jesus tell him? In verse 10, it says, a person who is bathed all over does not need to wash except for the feet to be entirely clean. And you disciples are clean. His disciples were clean because they already believed in him. They had a relationship with him. They knew who he was. He wasn't washing his disciples to save them. He was cleaning the soil off of the world off of their feet. When we get saved, you know, in the first century, they they had sandals and their feet got filthy. You could take a bath that morning, but by the end of the day, your feet were filthy. It's what happens in our world today. We come to Jesus, we get saved, but the soil of the world still gets on our feet and we need to wash it off. Why was Jesus doing this to his disciples? He was teaching his disciples the protocols of the priesthood. This is how you worship, guys. This is how you approach God. He was teaching a bunch of fishermen, a bunch of country bumpkins, a bunch of tax collectors, he was calling those men into the priesthood. You see, only a priest could wash in the basin. Only a priest could worship in the holy place to meet with God. And the disciples, they were about to do both. So Jesus consecrated them in this moment as priests. He was making them priests. Jesus was saying, hey, and then he began to take communion with them. And the tabernacle, we're going to talk, I think, next week about the table of showbread and how it represents communion today, the Lord's Supper. And, and right after this moment, they, they break bread together and they enter another aspect of the priesthood. Jesus was inviting his disciples. He was, he was making them priests in this moment so that they could minister to God and they could minister to people, steward a relationship between God and people. God represented or modeled the bronze basin the moment that he was washing his disciples' feet in the last week of his life. And all the way up to Jesus' death, we're going to talk about how every single element of the tabernacle can be seen in the life of Jesus in the last week of his life because Jesus was the ultimate worship leader. He was the best at leading people to God because he was God. You know, I brought a lot of items into my marriage when, when we got married I brought a lot of furniture and a microwave and a toaster. Brought a lot of things into our marriage that weren't worth very much. And one thing I brought into our marriage was an old set of pots and pans. And they were old. I mean, it was hard to cook an egg on these old pots. They would not, they would not slide off easy. It was hard to clean these pots. So my wife and I, we finally decided, you know what? We're going to drop the money. We're going to go to Costco and we're going to buy a new set of Teflon-coated pots and pans. And our worlds changed drastically, church. Our marriage instantly got better. We didn't fight it. No, that's not what happened. We 
We, we cooked eggs a lot easier. It just, it just got so much easier. Why am I talking about Teflon? Nothing sticks to Teflon. It's a non-stick surface. Can you imagine if your mind was coated in Teflon? You'd read the Bible and you'd retain nothing. You'd hear God's voice and you'd go unchanged. Your mind would be a non-stick surface. Imagine, church, if your heart was coated in Teflon. You'd feel the conviction of God only for a moment before it slid right off. You'd feel the inspiration of God during worship, but as soon as the music stopped, those feelings would slide off. Have you ever come into God's presence during worship but left unchanged and unchallenged, no more like Jesus than when you left? Teflon. Have you read a passage of the Bible then realized you had no idea what you just read? Teflon. See, an unsubmitted heart is coated in Teflon, church. And the promptings and the conviction of the word, they slide right off. And this is why submission at the altar always comes first. That you submit your heart at the altar. You give him your life as a living sacrifice so that when you hear the word, it doesn't slide off. That it sticks. That it challenges you. It reveals to you what needs to change, that it transforms you, that it brings freedom to your life. But it, it starts at the altar. You submit first so that when you come to the word of God, you can be changed. Church, I'm going to challenge you this week to read your Bible every day. If you don't already do this, I, I challenge you. I challenge you to read your Bible every day this week. But before you read, take a moment to surrender your biases, to pray. Before you open up the Bible, surrender your agenda, surrender your pride, submit to God whatever it, submit to God whatever it is that he wants to do in your life that you will do it. That's a, that's a hard thing to pray. It's saying, God, no matter what I read in this word, I know that it's truth. And so, God, despite how I feel or despite how it's going to affect me and my pride or whatever it is, Lord, I just, I want it to change me. So God, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to lay down my agenda. I'm going to lay down my pride. I'm going to lay down my ideas of who you are and what you're like so that I can see you for who you really are. I can look into the mirror of God's word and it can reveal to me the status of my life and how, what you think of my life. Let's pray together, church. Would you stand with me? I want to pray for our hearts. And I want to give an invitation for those who maybe need to submit at the altar this morning. Father, we love you so much and we thank you, God, that you are in this place. That you are changing hearts, you are changing minds. God, we ask you to fall fresh in this place. God, we thank you for what you did last week. Last Sunday was, was an amazing experience with you. And Father, I pray that this would be a continuation of the transformation that's happening in our hearts. Father, I pray that your word would come alive to us, that those of us who read your word and are maybe confused or don't know how to, how to receive it, how to live it out, Father, that you would open up our eyes to see what it is you're asking us to do, challenge us with your word, transform us with your word. Keep your heads bowed, your eyes closed. I want to give an invitation maybe for some people in this place who have never submitted to Jesus before. You've never submitted your life to Jesus. And if that's you, I want to, I want to invite you 
in a moment just to raise your hands because this is where it starts. It starts with submission so that that process of becoming more and more like Jesus can begin, but it has to start as offering yourself to Jesus, offering your life to him. If that's you and you want to say, today I need to submit my life to Jesus, just raise your hand so I can see it. Raise your hand in the air. I want to pray with you. There's nobody looking around. Any hands in this room? Praise God. Jesus, we love you. We thank you for what you're doing in our lives, and we ask that you would continue it, that you continue the work. And we submit to your word in Jesus' name. And the church said, Amen. 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 Hey, before you go, I want to remind you that Grow Class is happening in just a few minutes in the cafe. I'm going to head over there in just a few minutes. Uh, And we're going to talk about some of the foundations of our faith and how to live submitted to the process of spiritual growth. And so uh, maybe you've been going to this church for a while. I encourage you maybe to drop by and and to come to it at least once. Uh, But if you're new to our church and you want to learn more about our church, uh, or you're new to the faith and you want to learn about what my next steps are as a follower of Jesus, or if you want to get baptized, I just encourage you to come to Grow Class. It's going to be a time of question and answers. We're going to interact together. So God bless you, church, and uh, have a wonderful week. We'll see you next Sunday.